Are you revved up and excited for another episode of No Driving Gloves? On episode 251, Derek and John discuss. Why would you spend almost a billion dollars to create a gasoline motor when everything's going electric? And the history of the General Motors V8. Hit it, Carrie. So, you want to talk about cars? Ferrari, GTO, Bentley, CRX, and even down to your great granddad's peerless. Welcome to No Driving Gloves, the car talk authority, where experience, knowledge, and Controversy share the same seat. Enjoy the ride. Now your hosts, John and Derek. What's happening, everybody? It's uh, No Driving Gloves again. We're back. We're falling into this regular routine. Uh, still working on a couple of these big deep dives that we teached last fall. Matter of fact, I was doing notes last night. And we have three different ones we're working on is just focusing. I guess we probably need to take more Adderall or something. If you know where you can get it, please let us know because I know there's an Adderall shortage. How are you doing this morning, Derek? You know, I'm doing pretty good, John. Uh, just hanging out, like you said, getting into this new routine and uh, doing a lot of uh, reading and, and talking to folks about our deep dives. So I think I think we're on to some good stuff. We'll see how those go. Uh, I'm working on adjusting my schedule a little bit, and we'll start having uh, some conversations episodes, hopefully here in the next couple of weeks too, which will be obviously here on the Make No Driving Gloves channel and the Conversations channel, which are the cha- that channel's exclusively interviews. Like us, follow us, whatever you want to. Podcast catcher. Most of our news goes out on Facebook, but we're trying to get to Instagram and maybe the Twitter. Not sure yet. Oh, so Derek, we're talking small block Chevys or Chevrolet motors or inline sixes or something. Did Chevy have some sort of announcement here recently? Yeah, they did. And uh, I think it's a good time to talk about it. It's probably going to wind up getting us into the whole green movement, right? Where are we headed? Electric hybrid, all that. But I think we have to start with the news that came out of General Motors just, I mean, what, a week or so ago? A few weeks ago is what we'll say. A few, yeah. And we haven't really heard much more out of them at the time of this recording. It was announced that they would be bringing out the next generation small block V8. So an all new internal combustion V8 engine coming out of General Motors under the Chevrolet brand name, the the mark name of Chevrolet, the famed small block V8. And, you know, I think we've talked about the history of the small block V8, you know, the significance of the the engine, of course, Ed Cole's involvement, uh, Zora Arcus Duntov's involvement in that. It's a great history because it is the engine that saved most of General Motors, but specifically a lot of the Chevrolet lineup. I think it's interesting to see Chevrolet announcing it. Well, General Motors announcing that under the Chevrolet brand, a new small block V8, because of course it was was not that long ago that we had uh, Mary Barra, who is the CEO of General Motors, making the all-electric promise um, that 
GM would be all-electric fleet by 2035. So we're, what, 12 years away from that right now? I saw this news come out, and I don't know what you thought, John, but my head immediately went to basically seeing this as GM saying without saying, we're not quite ready. And I don't know that it's it's not General Motors' fault. It's not Chevrolet's fault. It's it's no one's fault. I think it speaks more to where the American automotive in- infrastructure is for moving to electric vehicles and where the auto industry needs to focus currently as they are building up to what is next. You know, it's, it's one of these, you know, and I, I even thought it when they... Ford and General Motors started making these promises of all electric, why can't we slowly work up to it? Why can't we say, you know what, the next step is really making the internal combustion engine as efficient and green as possible, and then it'll be introducing hybrid technology, and then eventually when we get everything figured out in this world, we can start switching away from the internal combustion engine. And I think this is one of those small steps in that game plan. I definitely thought it was interesting that they were throwing out this V8. It's a substantial investment because, like you said, if they're supposed to be 100% electric, they're investing $71.2 million a year into just this single inch. It's an $854 million budget to design and build. That's a substantial amount of money. It's not a lot of money in the auto manufacturers world, a billion dollars here and a billion dollars there. It's still substantial, and I think it is saying something. I've been in a lot of conversations recently in this move to all-electric. Toyota was adamantly against electric, at least their CEO was, until he just recently announced he was stepping down and the guy that brought in has already announced that Toyota is way behind this electric curve and they will be playing catch-up. The conversations I've been in are exactly what you said. Maybe this should be a best of both worlds and maybe this is General Motors saying indirectly hybrids are where it's at. When you do a hybrid, you can have this new fuel-efficient clean burning V8 or whatever technology and you can have the electric also. So when you're doing your commuting bouncing around town you can do it all electric. You can charge up at home and it's easy to charge up overnight without a you know a 400 watt charger or 300 watt charger at your home. You can have something small a little bit less of an investment there you charge the car up overnight, you drive to and from work, no problem. But when you are not doing that commuting and you decide to take a little weekend trip or you go on vacation and you go outside the city limits, which doesn't happen often for most people, but that's why everybody wants a 300, 400, 500 mile range electric car. What if that three days a year that I decide to go to, name it, grandma's, whatever, go skiing. I need that kind of range. So you spend all this money for all of this battery, all of this weight that the car now has to haul around, and all of this indirect environmental impact that you never see in the manufacturing of batteries, etc. 
when you have this hybrid that only has to do a little bit of commuting, the battery pack's much smaller. So the environmental impact on the manufacturing of the battery pack's less. The expense of replacing the battery pack's less. The expense of keeping the vehicle charged is less. And then you still have this motor that's there for the long trips. My first really big step into almost jumping into this world was to buy a Chevrolet Volt, which is exactly this technology where you have a vehicle that runs on electric and you get 30 or 40 miles on the electric charge and then it switches over to gas. Now, the gas isn't directly driving the wheels and the drivetrain and the transmission, so we're not adding the complexity back in. The engine is just generating power. It's basically an onboard generator to recharge the batteries so that you maintain driving like that. Maybe with this V8, it's a slight step away where the V8, it's going to be like one of these integrate hybrid systems like uh, one of the supercars have where it's a gasoline motor does all of this and then for your extra boost to power, it's electric. Honestly, I think that's the way technology needs to go right now. For this whole industry to switch over to electric in the next decade, decade and a half, is not conceivable on so many levels. And I think this is Chevrolet's way of saying, we know this, but if we say it, yeah, we're going to be a target for everybody out there. So we're going to do this, and then as the industry realizes, the government starts to realize, and the government's starting to realize that, hey, wait, there's a problem here. And we start having rolling blackouts across the world because of electric cars charging, etc. I think this is a really neat piece of technology. So that's our opinions on why this thing exists. Tell us a little about what it is, Derek. It's an engine, John. <laughs> I don't know what else you so want to say. What's, what's, what's it make, what makes it radically different than the V8 that I had in my 55 Chevy? Like I said, I, unless you've seen something come out that I haven't, there hasn't been a lot of announcement on what this engine is going to be exactly. Have I missed something? Let's start there, because I've not... No, I was just wondering if some of your inside conversations and that you've learned any. No, my contacts have been keeping uh, pretty pretty tight-lipped about exactly what this engine is. But I mean, we can we can get us right. I mean, we can we can or at least make some educated uh, guesses here that it's it's going to be the most efficient small block V8 ever brought out. You know, they're going to make sure that happens. I mean, they're saying right now that it's going to be for trucks and SUVs. We do. We, we've heard that so far. Right now. My guess is also, you know, this will become part of the new C8 moving into the the ninth generation C C9 Corvette uh, will use this small block V8 in some way, and we just saw within the last month the unveiling of the E-Ray Corvette, which is hybrid, one of the fastest Corvettes built to this day. And, you know, because of the hybrid technology they're using, uh, somewhat similar to the, uh, what was it, the McLaren P1 that used the similar hybrid system. I think they're going to show with this V8 that engines, internal combustion engines, can become 
cleaner, more efficient, and be used in hybrid systems to help reduce emissions. And like you said, John, you know, only use that engine when it's absolutely necessary, right? You use the electric system when it's charged up, when you're doing short, short range driving, all of that. But then, yeah, if you're, if you're, you're towing with a truck or if you're going a long distance, then that small new small block V8 is probably going to come into play. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's at least my guesses on where this is going. You know, as, as you said, John, and as everybody on the show knows, I, I have intern, you know, contacts at General Motors. They, they don't say a lot uh, about what's coming up as, as many of the folks like to say at General Motors, we don't talk about future product, uh, which is a great line. I also have the chance to talk to some of the retired folks that are out there from General Motors. And, you know, I think getting to have those conversations they kind of lean towards the same opinions that you and I are talking about, which is the world is not ready for this. The world is not ready for an all-electric automotive transportation platform. Not only is it going to be hard on the auto companies, the car companies, to build these, figure out the science, figure out the technology, figure out everything that it's going to take, but we have to think that on the flip side, there has to be the infrastructure for charging, like you talked about, John. You know, you start rolling this out around the world, and then all of a sudden, all of the electrical grids are overtasked, and we start having rolling brownouts. We don't want that. I think everybody that listens knows we don't like to get political on this podcast. We try to stay away from it. We all have differing views in this world, and that's okay. But we have to also look at what that battery technology and electric motor technology, what resources are need, needed for those, what type of extraction uh, methods are being used to get those resources. You know, you think about lithium batteries, uh, lithium mining in Africa and places like that. And what environmental impact is that going to have? And then one of the big things that often gets forgotten about is you have to move that lithium that has been mined to a lithium processing plant, uh, usually shipped over the ocean to another country, processed. And then that processed lithium that is now battery packs or whatever it's being put into now has to be shipped around the world oftentimes on you know freighters on the open ocean i i think we've mentioned it on the show before actually if if you don't know about those massive freighters that are out on the ocean i encourage everybody to read up on it and read about the engines that they're using and the fuels that they use to move around out on the open ocean because it is not very clean technology we have to, again, I'm not trying to be political, but we have to take into consideration every step and every factor of turning our automotive industry and the platform they are using to power the automobiles to become greener. We have to take into account every step to make sure that what we are doing is the 
best method and the cleanest and most efficient way to move. So I think the introduction of, of an all-new V8 is a clue that we're starting to look at maybe all-electric is not the best way yet. And I will put that comma yet in there because it just takes development to get there. And we have to remember, as we've talked about many times, and I always bring up, electric cars have been around as long as the automobile has existed. Uh, they have been around since the 1800s. They've been playing with them. At Thomas Edison famously played around with an electric vehicle. Ferdinand Porsche played around with hybrid technology as early as the 1890s. The loner, loner Porsches were, you know, an electric internal combustion hybrid. They had hub motors. They had electric hub motors at the turn of the set last century, the, you know, 1800s to the 1900s. This is nothing new. It's figuring it out and make, making it work the best it can, the most efficiently it can, and the cleanest it can for our world. You said something there. Was So is Edison's car uh, alternating current, and did Tesla have one way back then? No, just... <laughs> Now, now, I'm pretty sure it was still direct. It was direct current. I don't think he figured out how to make his batteries to alternating current. And uh, no, I don't know that Tesla ever played with uh, any automobiles. I, I never come across that. If I'm wrong, somebody correct me. Yeah, I mean, Edison was into that stuff, right? He he was always experimenting. I don't know if we're talking about this Chevrolet motor or if we're actually talking about this conversion to electric. The other thing what, that people... I, what I read this week, and I haven't seen it translate over to the electric car debate, that late meat is at the lowest point it's been in decades. Another one of those big reservoirs it, uh, out west is just about to the point where the hydroelectric dam that it feeds, it's almost too low for that dam to produce power. Right now, the West Coast is in trouble with electricity. And then we now want to add further burden to that. Like you said, this world relies, every piece of this world relies on another piece of something. It's weird to think that the water shortage is possibly going to hurt the electric car move. How do those two relate? A lot of electricity is produced by water. I recently heard podcast Mike Rose would take his politics however you wish and he had somebody on there was very pro nuclear way to go and it's a lot different than three mile island in Chernobyl technology now but whole different world I think there's a, a power plant down the street here in Alabama produces a lot of power for the southeast but I just like you said found it interesting that Chevrolet is going to introduce this motor uh, found it interesting doing a little bit of dive into the history of the General Motors VA. One article I read said that this is what the sixth generation. Or... Yeah, this will be the sixth generation of the small block VA. You have the original push rod. I'm guessing the 265s. The what was the first displacement? Was it was 265? 283, we hit the 
And to me, those were basically all the same motors. They just made the holes different sizes, made the piston trap shorter. And then you get into the LT1, and wasn't the CR1 an LT5? Yes. And is the ZR1 LT5 considered in that Chevrolet VA line of families? Because isn't it the only overhead cam motor? Sorry, you, you got me thinking here, John. The disc yeah. stuff's not overhead cam. Right. No, it's not. Um, so, yeah, I believe it is. I believe it is the... The, the LT5 yeah. was dual course overhead cams on, on each cylinder bank, so it technically had four overhead cams. Right. So... Developed in which, which, which go back to the I remember the quad cam, what was it the olds quad four and things like that? Yeah, their quad cam or something. So we'll leave the Mercury derived engine out of there. LTs were popular for years. I was just talking to somebody recently about the. Um, he's a local automotive broker, and he's getting a 1906 Buick Roadmaster with like thirty six thousand miles, Roadmaster wagon. Those are phenomenal cars. Um, I used to have a friend, uh, one of the kit uh, cars I've owned in the past. The guy swore by the things, you know, 5,000 pound towing capacity, basically a Corvette motor, high 20s for miles per gallon, and big, massive things that rolled forever. And when they broke, you could go to AutoZone and buy dating or anything you needed for. I still think they're one of the best cars out there, even though now we're looking at effectively a 30-year-old car. That's the thing about the, you know, Ed Cole's design of the small block V8. The way he designed it and exactly what he was trying to do was make as versatile a V8 engine as he possibly could. And I think GM has proven that over time that Ed Cole was right and what Ed Cole designed is probably the greatest V8 engine that has ever been designed. Uh, there's there's not much beating a Chevrolet small block V8. It goes all the way back to Zora's letter that Chevy was Chevrolet was behind the ball because Ford had the flathead V8 since 1932. GM didn't come out with a new V8, okay? It, Chevrolet had a V8 before before Ford had a V8, okay? It only lasted for two years. Uh, it was a very, very complicated early engine in the teens. It was, it's a cool engine. There's not many examples out there of it, but it is rudimentary compared to the flathead V8 and what would become the small blocks. This small block V8 engine is is so versatile and they've proven it over the years with all of these different designs even up to what's running in the Corvette the C8 Corvette today that yeah I guess it it surprises me and or it surprised us in some ways that they announced a new version of it but it probably shouldn't <laughs> because it is so versatile it can be used in so many ways yeah, they're just making the best of it again, as I think Ed Cole had hoped. People say that the Chevrolet small block V8 goes back to 1955. You know, we just, we got, you know, I went out to DLTs. And then, of course, 
Yeah, the what, LS6 came out, LS1 motors, the LS7s, all these. And it's now it's every couple of years, boom, 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 there's a, seems to be a change. And I don't know, are they radically different motors or are they really, can you, if you took an LS7, how much of that goes back to the 1955-265. There's eight cylinders, there's a crankshaft, there's in-cam, or in-block cam. But is it really the same motor? I mean, there's been... This is, are, are, are all these versions basically the only difference is four and stroke, which then I would say it's the same. And the head design, and the intake design. Is that where the radical changes are? I, I don't really know if, unless something has changed, and I'm not up on the newest, you know, iterations of the small block V8. I know at the very beginning, in in the you know pushrod era, all of that. The biggest thing about the way that Ed had designed the engine and the small block was that it all revolved around the bore spacing. So the center, you know, center spacing of the bore on the engine, and they were always the same um, as they continued to build it. But I'm trying to, and I'm trying to remember, it was like four, it was around four and a half inch bore spacing. Oh, here it is. I'm, I'm looking it up real quick so I don't get something wrong. It was all based around 4.4 inch bore spacing. You say that, and this number pops out to me because I'm reading, a, I'm in this thing on the LS7, still based on the original 4.4 inch bore spacing. The LS7 uses blah, 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 pressed in cylinder liners and forged caps, you know. The technology, I guess, so yeah, yes, yes, it's effectively the same thing. Because my question was derived when you were talking about the longevity of this motor, how long it's been, and Chevrolet V Ford and I'm trying to think in my life, in my driving life, which is still a couple of decades now, we go from our, say, Fox Body 5.0 Mustangs. Then Ford came out with the, what, Radical Modular V8 that you, you know, it's two pieces of a block that bolted together and, and that kind of failed. And then they went to some other design of V8. And then there, the Coyote. And I don't think any of those motors really, obviously the modular really didn't carry anything over from anybody else. Maybe there is something to be said about of that original design and that, what are we, 70-ish years later? 68 years later? Yeah, but, well, coming up on 70, yeah. Yeah, another well, two years of the anniversary. You know, hats off to you, General Motors. Maybe that initial investment, you know, you, you saw the electric car coming. 70 years ago, and you said, oh, we're just going to build this motor and we're going to plug it along until everything goes electric. Zach, do you think that was the thinking? I don't think that's what Ed Cole was thinking. Although Ed was a, Ed was a, I, Ed was a genius. Ed was an engineering mastermind. Ed was not afraid of anything within, you know, the purview of mechanical engineering you know i mean he comes up with small block v8 uh he's involved in 
the early automatic transmissions with the you know, hydromatic. He even in the 1960s, you know, right basically right before his uh, retirement from General Motors as as president of Chevrolet, he is the one that started looking into the Lankel rotary engines and had a rotary engine program going at General Motors, trying to figure out if it was a good way to go. So, you know, Ed wasn't afraid of of thinking about anything. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, about Ed and, and something I didn't know until I got to know the Cole family is, you know, GM was a supplier of the military, right? They were a military contractor during the wars, during peacetime. They build stuff. They design stuff, you know, items for the military. And Ed was integral in fixing the original M16 when they were having problems with the original version of the M16A1 in Vietnam, very early on in, in the war, the army sent out a call to all contractors to see if they could figure out how to fix it. It came across Ed Cole's desk. He looked at it and basically said, well, this is pretty much how an automatic transmission works. Took it over to hydromatic division, sat down with the engineers. They re-engineered it. And that's why GM built, almost all of the M16A1s that went over to Vietnam at the hydromatic division because they figured out how to keep the gun from jamming and, you know, getting the back pressure flow and, and you know, all the gas flows correct to make it a fully automatic weapon. He wasn't afraid of anything. So I think if, if he had the opportunity to be around and think about hybrid technology with the small block V8, I think he'd be all for it because I think it would be a challenge to him he would take it on and he would figure out a fantastic way to make it happen. That was an interesting. So we'll wrap it up there because it's a you know a good way of ending the show talking about the diversity of uh, and coal. You know, we've learned more about this motor and things trickle through. You know, it's they say it's a it's a few years away, and you know, the investment is putting like eight hundred dollars into various engine plants and designing almost five hundred eighty million dollars of it's going to the GM Flint Michigan engine plant which I guess makes blocks heads everything to make the unit there's a lot of other they're putting million hundreds of millions of dollars into many different facilities to uh get ready to produce this motor so I don't know. Let's see what's going to show up in 2025, 2026. I, I think know. it's exciting. I think that was an interesting conversation and a couple of, you know, a little bit more opinionated than fact there. A little dive into history. I'm sure we'll be around in two years to review whether or not we were right or wrong. I hope I'll around in two years. And, and I, we know our listeners will, uh, I'm referring to no Trident. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, you're 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 you're, 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 you're getting you're getting up there in age, John. I mean, it, you know, I'm I'm still kind of young. So, oh, tell me about it. I'm not as fat as us as I've ever been, but I'm getting there. Try, I'm trying to cut back. If I can totally cut soda out of my life, I lose twenty pounds also. Ooh, you don't know, need to know about my, my physical abilities. We could have the no driving gloves health segment. Yeah. But that's going to be it for uh, 
this exciting episode of No Driving Gloves. Uh, NoDrivingGloves.com. Ooh, I forgot to uh, mention our fur dozer buddies. Check them out. I've got this new cloth interior car, and then I bought a, a neoprene seat cover on uh, Clarence Island Walmart, and it even helps with that. It, it's amazing how much dog gear even my non-shedding dog puts out. You know, I was even thinking about maybe buy a new used car. The previous owners had a, a dog, but no, nah, my little dog, I guess, does shed. I guess there's a reason her hair stays as long as it, her fur stays as long as it is. But be sure to check out the fur dozer on our website. I'd love the thing. Visit the website, visit the Facebook page, check us out, like, share, subscribe. And that's the best thing you guys can do. Tell a friend about us. Click that little share button and share this to one of your car buddies. Let's get it out in here. No driving gloves is back in a big way. Evergreen episodes, current events, multiple channels so you can listen to exactly anything else out of you tonight, Derek. Keep listening and like John said, share us with a friend. This show was a part of the Doe Driving Gloves Network, produced and edited by John and Yanni, a Plastic City podcast, with voice work by Gary Conger. So until the next exit.